You're listening to the Flip My Funnel podcast, a daily podcast dedicated to helping B2B marketing, sales, and customer success professionals become masters of their craft. It's Tuesday, and today you'll hear an episode from our Takeover series. Every month, we ask a different practitioner or thought leader to host a series of interviews that cover a specific theme that's relevant to our community. And like Sangram always says, without a community, you are simply a commodity. Here we go. Sangram here. Welcome to the Flip My Phone podcast. I'm doing this series where every Tuesday, we're finding some incredible people who can do a Tuesday takeover. And, and part of the community is like, that's how you grow great community. That's how you hear a lot of great conversations. So I have with me Yog, who is the host of the ABM Conversations podcast. He's one of the top 100 MarTech influencers. And just figured out, he is also the author of seven books. His latest book, actually, Revenue Marketing, he's put it on free on Amazon for people to go take it. So he's a really go-giver kind of person. And the series that he's running is called Best of B2B Marketing. And it's a four-part series that I want you you to share more about what are these interviews and what things people are going to get out of it. Right. I'm absolutely excited. And thank you for this, Sangram. So, uh, you know, this series, as you rightly called us, uh, you know, the B2B marketing series, what we uh, what we do here is that I've interviewed four different people. The first one, of course, uh, the topics kind of vary uh, from ABM to uh, ROI to social selling. And, uh, you know, we go into MarTech, so on and so forth. So the first one uh, with you, Sangram, you know, we discussed ABM. We went in depth as to it's not about the number of tools that we use, but how we effectively use it and how ABM is a strategy. And uh, it's not about the kind of tools that you use. So that was a wonderful conversation. I would love for people to take a deeper look into that. And uh, the next conversation was between me and my uh, co-host, Manish. We spoke about social selling in ABM. So in this topic, uh, when you look at it, I figured out that a lot of us do this on LinkedIn, right? So we go in. Um, we just connect with somebody and immediately start selling. That's not how social selling is done. It needs to be, you know, establishing your own brand, be social first, and over a period of time, become an authority who people come to and begin conversations with. So that's what that topic is all about and how we can use that in the context of ABM. And then I had an opportunity to talk with Chris Walker. Uh, We discussed about how we waste a lot of money in marketing and how we can uh, get the right kind of ROI based on our investments. And finally, you know, the chief MarTech, Scott Brinker, that was a wonderful opportunity for me as well. With him, I got to talk in depth about the current MarTech landscape. And, uh, you know, I asked him certain questions like, uh, why is that we as marketers aren't that puzzled when we have more and more MarTech vendors um, and MarTech uh, consultants compared to the number of tools that come in day by day. And we had a wonderful conversation. We spoke about, uh, say, the kind of integrations and the kind of four levels of integrations, and we went deeper about that space. So uh, these are four amazing conversations, and you know, I would love for the people to enjoy this. Awesome. So if you are listening to this for the first time, then you are in a treat. This is going to drop every Tuesday as part of the Tuesday Takeover. And But if you are catching us in the middle, let's say you're listening to the Scott Brinker's episode right now, go back to the last three Tuesdays and you can catch uh, Yog's conversation with me, with Manish, and also with Chris Walker. Great conversation. Again, this is the series on the Flip Monthly Podcast follows the best of the B2B marketers. And this is with Yog and his information and everything will also will be in the show notes. So Yog, thank you so much for taking the time and hope everybody have a fun time listening to it. Thank you so much, Sangram. It's been a pleasure. Using ABM to build relationships and trust. 
and how that translates into revenue. That's what we're going to be discussing in uh, today's ABM Conversations podcast. This is me, your host, Yagneshwar and Ganesh. And this is Manish Nepal. All right. So today's episode is a guest episode. And we have someone who is synonymous with ABM, who has joined us today. Uh, he's an author. He's the co-founder of Terminus. And he probably is best known for Flip My Funnel podcast and somebody who loves or advises um, and vouches for saying that if you don't have a community around you, you are just a commodity. Welcome to the show, Sangram. Thank you so much, Agnesh and Manisha. It's fun to be on and I'm glad we're able to actually make this happen today. Absolutely. Same here. So, Sangram, uh, would you love to uh, you know, uh, take us through your journey in the sense like um, you know, around 2012-13, everybody was talking demand gen. And then suddenly around 14, 15, we started talking about uh, ABM and ABM started becoming mainstream. And uh, from there around 2015, 16, we started also uh, looking at or hearing more about Flip My Funnel and just take us through the journey and how it all started for you. Well, the journey started a little bit earlier than that. Um, if, you, if you think about it, and I'll fast forward through that uh, so that we don't go that far back. But if you really think about it, 2000, let's just go back to 2000. Email marketing was just getting introduced into the world and everybody was getting 80, 90% open rate, the good old days of email. And that's how I can date myself that I've been in the industry and I've seen some of these things before. And then you fast forward that to 2005, marketing automation came on board. You think about uh, Pardot, I ran marketing at Pardot, we got acquired by Exact Target and then at Salesforce. Uh, after that, uh, you think about Marketo, uh, you think about Eloqua. All those organizations came and said, hey, if you can send email, we can capture leads. If we can capture leads, we can give it to the sales team. Well, we got so good at it that we gave too many leads to sales. And sales teams started to say, well, we don't know which lead we should focus on. You fast forward five more years, 2010, predictive came about, which is the, the technology really promised that we are going to predict which leads should sales focus on. And that was all, again, to go back to solve the same basic problem that we have been trying to solve, which is how do I get my message in front of the right people at the right time? And then you fast forward five more years to 2015, which is what you're talking about. We, we kind of landed into this place where everything seemed to be just not working. I think Forrester came out with a stat at that time that said less than 1% of the leads that marketing and sales teams are creating are turning into customers. And I've said this before, like if you want to flip that, uh, because I love flipping things, if you flip that, it's almost saying 99% of the leads that you create as an organization don't drive shit. So that itself should get most marketers and salespeople or leaders fired in their organization. So so that really what led me, uh, because I was, in, uh, I was running marketing at Pardot and I was at Salesforce. And I remember this, Yagnesh, that time that, that I was, I was, we had the best month uh, of number of leads getting generated. And my head of sales said, Sangram, great job. Your team, fantastic. You guys kicked the ball off the park. Uh, let's, uh, let's try to double the number of leads that you can generate for the next quarter. And, and I just sank in my seat because... I was like, wait a minute, we just became a coin-operated lead machine. Why are we not talking about increasing pipeline to uh, revenue conversion? Why are we not talking about expansion? Why are we not talk talking about pipeline velocity? All those things that now we're talking as a general, 
I felt like that was a big miss. And that led me to co-found Terminus uh, in 2015 with two incredible folks, uh, Eric Spett and Eric Bass. And we haven't looked back, but I really wanted to share that journey because I think this idea of going from email to marketing automation to predictive to ABM, hopefully it kind of shows that, well, they were all technology evolution. None of that was about strategy, email marketing, marketing automation, predictive. They're all tech. ABM, on the other hand, which you know, you and Manish know this really well, ABM is a strategy. So regardless of what you do, it's a strategy. So finally, we're back to the table thinking about the right things to do as opposed to what are the right tools to use. Great. Absolutely. And uh, the fun part is that, uh, you know, with ABM, uh, you start looking at things differently in the sense uh, when it comes to demand gen, you have a broader funnel at the top. And when you go reverse, uh, you start going deeper. So that's something that I, you know, um, uh, I love because the moment you said flip my funnel, that contextually says what it is. So, uh, you know, can you talk us a little bit about what was that context change that you saw as a marketer and for marketers the moment somebody would flip the funnel? And that's a good point. So this is, uh, this is 2015. I was at a MarTech conference uh, in San Francisco. Um, I was there with Scott Brinker, uh, very famously there. He has been doing MarTech conference. And that was, I think, the first year he did that. And Jill Raleigh, who was a sales leader uh, presenting over there, and I, I was just trying to figure out what's going on as I was starting this new company. And what I realized was everybody was showing this funnel and every presentation after presentation after presentation, it was almost like bombarding people with like, you got to get them people through the funnel as if people are like, you know, like ice cream cones or something like that. You drop it from one end and, you know, you just kind of chomp at it. And expectation was like, oh, look, we got 1.5% conversion and people are clapping. And it was honestly very sad experience to sit in the audience as a marketer to like, wait a minute, this is so bad. Why is nobody talking or thinking differently? So anyway, I left that conference feeling more like depressed uh, than I walked in there. And it wasn't fault of anybody because if people were happy, I was depressed. I just didn't want to accept that reality and wanted to find another way. So long story short, I was on a flight back from San Francisco to Atlanta and uh, ended up in the, being in the middle seat uh, with two drunk people. And if you ever flew between San Francisco and Atlanta without Wi-Fi, it's horrible. It's a five-hour five hour flight. And when you're sitting in the middle seat, it's just not good with no Wi-Fi. So I literally drew the funnel that they were talking about and out of pure boredom, um, or you know, just just trying to like do something with my time, I flipped it, and that's how Flip My Funnel was born. And to me, going back to your question of this context is, is such an important question. It's such an important thing. Is that I think as a marketer and as as people in general, when we see something that has been there forever, we start associating our value. We start associating us with that. And until somebody comes along and shows us something different, we feel like that's just the reality. That is how we're going to go. Until Uber came about, people just thought taxes is the only way to get to the airport uh, or to anywhere. Uh, unless uh, until uh, Henry Ford showed up and said, you can have uh, cars, people thought, well, you know, having a donkey or a horse is the only way. So until somebody comes along and shows a different way of doing something, we just feel like that's a reality. And what flipped my funnel thankfully did. And I would take like, yeah, I don't want to take and say, oh, wow, let's get, you know, this is such a brilliant part. It's, it just happened to be 
that the flip funnel, when it keep when you put it across or the next to the old traditional funnel where less than one percent of the leads turn into customers, immediately there's this this reaction that you get from internally. Oh yeah. Instead of going after everybody, as if you're standing on a street corner with a sign, get a car wash, you actually can go and stand in front of the right people where you want to do business with. So you start with the right customers and future customers in mind and then turn them into advocates. I think that that parallel view of the old reality and the new uh, just created this wave where everybody was, I think, waiting for it, but they just didn't know what the answer was. And I just happened to be presenting in some ways uh, at the right place at the right time. That's amazing to hear. In fact, uh, you know, uh, between me and Manish, we often talk about this, that uh, sometimes it's really important for us to uh, have the questions we might not have an immediate answer to than just having answers which you cannot question. So I think this this was a beautiful story that, uh, you know, you shared as how Flip My uh, Funnel as a podcast or as a concept and how Terminus was born. But, um, you know, most of the people, the way they understand ABM is very different. Everybody understands ABM in their own way. So some of them believe that it's a relationship building exercise. Some of them uh, look at it as purely a farming exercise. Some of them look at it from a dimension standpoint. So can you uh, take us through some sort of a story where you can see how a company used ABM to uh, break through the noise and uh, build awareness to actually go on to drive revenue? I, I remember reading the story of uh, Pramata in um, ABM is B2B. So I think that's a, that's a good story to talk about. I'm happy to. And you know the book uh, you're referring to is called ABM is B2B. Uh, if you want to go take a look at it. It's um, the story of Pramata was probably one of the, I think there are about five stories I put in the book. And one of the stories was Pramata, which, uh, which, which helps large B2B enterprise organization to, to eliminate uh, what they call a revenue leakage. Um, and, and they created millions of dollars in value out there. I mean, their customers include companies like Microfocus, Rackspace, and NCR, and Comcast. And so it's a big organization, right? Like the customers in a way. What they found, and, and, and typically they're at, at a company of 10,000 employees, maybe 20 people know what revenue leakage is. So it's a very, very focused thing. But, but here's what happened. For them, Pramata, they, don't, they didn't need thousands of leads a quarter in order to make their numbers. They were in a business where deal size was big enough where they just needed to, to close maybe five to 10 deals a quarter and make money. And the reason is those five to 10 deals are million dollar plus deals. So what some organizations might take, you know, hundred deals to get to a million, they could just do that with five to 10. And the reason is they had a 0% issue with their retention. hundred percent of their customers were, were once they come in, once they buy the product of Pramata, they were happy because they just did such a fantastic job. Their product solved a very clear, acute problem. So they didn't need thousands of leads. And I wanted to use that as a qualifier because their deal sizes were just large with 100% retention rate. And what was interesting about their story was they started to do ABM about two years ago using Terminus and other, some of the other tools. And at that time, when they started, they got into it. It made sense because they have a way few target list of accounts they want to go after. But then Jeremy, who ran, ran the, the ABM program over there, I remember he talking about they were doing that and saying, well, within two years, they started to see that their traffic to their website actually dropped. And when you think about that, well, wait a minute, how does the, how does the traffic drops to your website? Their traffic actually dropped by 70%. Now, 
if you are a marketer right now, and if you're driving and listening to this, or maybe working out and listening, or whatever you're doing, you might want to just take a seat because typically when your traffic drops at 70%, you're fired in, in an organization, right? You don't know what you're doing as a marketer. But because their pipeline numbers and revenue was increasing, Jeremy was given another chance to, to explain what was going on. And when Jeremy looked deeper into what was really going on, what he found out was that, wait a minute, since we're not going after any and everybody out there, we, are, we have a very targeted list of accounts we're going after. We actually are seeing traffic only coming from those accounts. Well, as a result, all the false positive of higher traffic is good is, is off the window. They are getting traffic from the right accounts. And because there are only a few accounts they go after, the traffic overall drops. So in a way, they, they save money for the organization. Some of the, the results they saw was that their, their, the sales accept, accepted leads uh, in their, their times, they were four times better. They also saw that their, the, the average deal size, they had a 32% reduction. Um, they, and one of the most interesting part of all, I don't know if I had this in the book at that time, was that they went from about 22 different technologies that they used to do account base or do any type of marketing that was reduced to just six. So the cost of acquisition was reduced by 60%. So I've just been kept in touch with Jeremy since then as well. And what's interesting is this story is not very uncommon for organizations that practice ABM. What will happen if you're truly practicing ABM, which is, which is to me, my definition of that, as you said, Yagnesh, people have so many different definitions. My definition is that it's just a, it's just a better marketing and sales process. Like you, you're just going to do a better job of marketing and sales. And what I find more often than, than you know, in four or five years with thousands of our own Terminus customers, plus talking to so many people on the Flip My Phone podcast, is that your traditional vanity metrics like traffic to the website going up, number of downloads, or number of ebooks, you know, all these things that we all as marketers would hail at the top saying, this is amazing, they're outside the window because they, if, if they're not the right people from the right account, it doesn't count. So ABM has allowed to have business outcome-oriented conversation. And when you talk about business outcomes, now you have the attention of your chief CEO or CRO or CFO, and that changes your ability to drive business. That's a, that's a great story, Sangram. And I think we need another episode to talk just about the case study of how this company was able to cut down on website traffic and still get a full sales velocity in the pipeline. I think that's a great example. It just packs the understanding of ABM that we're discussing in a very specific manner. And uh, my uh, question to you, Sangram, is, um, you know, uh, there has been a massive shift in the popularity of ABM as a discipline in the past few years and definitely in the last one decade. Uh, everybody talks about how ABM outperforms your other marketing channel. It brings higher ROI and revenue. And it's, it's definitely quickly becoming the new game in town, right? And uh, a lot of businesses are waking up to the realization of how important it is to invest, start to invest in account-based marketing. And they are trying to train their uh, uh, workforce also in this direction. But what I am observing is that uh, a lot of companies don't know where to start. So what are the top three to five skills that an ABM practitioner must have in order to become kick-ass ABM professional in your view? Oh, man, that's a, that's a great question. I think right now, if you have ABM in your title, 
you can actually charge uh, or you can actually ask for 10, 20% more increase in salary. <laughs> Your point, it's such a hot, hot commodity. And I'm seeing some people saying, we've been doing AB for 20 years. I'm like, no, nah, not really. Uh, so it's, it's interesting how all that has been happening and, and the, the town. So it's a really good thing that the, that ABM has now become almost a gold standard for organization. And guess what? Five years from now, that won't be the case. And that's why I wrote, the first book was called Account-Based Marketing. The second book I wrote, ABM is B2B, because I don't expect ABM to be the talk of the town five years from now. I expect people to just say, hey, that's just better B2B marketing and sales. Going after the right accounts and focusing on those and engaging the companies that or people that are in those accounts that should be just a basic way of doing it. So, so I feel four or five years from now, ABM will actually go down and, and will just B2B. So that, that being said, I feel one of the most important skill, and it's not a technical skill uh, that one is going to need, is empathy. For a marketer to understand that sales job is one of the hardest jobs in, in, in most organizations to do cold calls, to call people up, to figure out the fall. It's a really, really hard job. And what makes it even harder is you don't meet your quota for a month or two months or a quarter, you're out. So they don't, they don't have the luxury like marketers do of sitting in an office and coming up on a whiteboard with a strategy and, and then follow some sort of checklist of things like three webinars a month and two ebook, ebooks a quarter and, and, and go high level. They don't have the luxury of that. Their job depends, how, like 100% of it depends on they meeting a quota literally that month or that quarter of, of somebody paying their mortgage or not that month or that quarter or, or feeding their kids or not. So I think this level of empathy that marketers need to have is, is I think, largely missing. Uh, and I'm sorry to say that, but that's just the reality. Most marketers do not have the empathy it takes to be a sales. So number one skill set, if you really truly want to do account based, is to, to really have that empathy. And the way you develop that is you go sit down with the salesperson, work hand in hand, try doing some calls with that person, try being in that person's shoes, and actually put your uh, and, and do some customized campaigns for that particular account. And we can talk about how, how you do that in a, in a minute. But that's number one, empathy. Number two, you gotta let go of vanity metrics. And we touched on it a little bit. But marketers celebrate the things that actually have no consequential impact on the business. And that rubs sales organization the hard way. And, and that's where the riff is. So you got to stop celebrating the vanity metrics that your organization, because if, if your salesperson doesn't know how that's going to help me win deals, then it doesn't matter. And if you really think about it, account. Now, most salespeople, their title is account executive. So they get account-based. They have been doing account-based sales for the most part. Marketers needed to learn that leads is not the way to give leads in their accounts. Great. But if you just hand over them leads, that's why they don't focus on it. Because if that lead is not going to help them close deals that month, that quarter, they'll be fired anyway. So why work on your leads? That's one of the biggest reasons why uh, marketer leads are not followed up. Because we're not giving them leads in the accounts that they need to close that month. All that to say is that if you have the empathy for it and you are, are prioritizing and customizing the, the experiences around the sales process and, and celebrate more on the business outcomes, not your vanity metrics, I think a combination of that, it doesn't really then matter what your role in the organization is. You might be a 
product marketer, you might be a content or field marketer. It really doesn't matter. If you don't have the empathy and if you can let go of the vanity metrics, it's going to be extremely hard for you to be in that role. Absolutely. And uh, the points that you said, uh, the two things about uh, having empathy and not caring so much about vanity metrics, you know, it also uh, kind of tells me that ABM is principally uh, very different from uh, the traditional methods of marketing, marketing such as uh, inbound marketing or the traditional way of generating leads and so on. So um, from that point of view of being at the other spectrum of the marketing, are there any common mainstream uh, marketing practices that you would wish other marketers stop doing? Well, I think most most marketing and sales organizations should stop their uh, nurture email streams that goes every three weeks and four weeks and two weeks. I think they should stop all those cadences that are not at all personalized. And the only personalization is just first name and, and the name of the company. I think this, this is something that uh, Jay Bear on, uh, on one of the Flip and Flow podcasts said, that with every touch point, every touch point, either you're building your brand or you're tarnishing your brand. So if marketing and salespeople think about every connection that they're having, every touch that they're having through social email uh, or direct mail, you're actually building or, or literally killing your brand, I think we'll do better. Uh, as an example, I, I think we should, you probably didn't hear me say, and you would not, not see that in the book either, is the word prospect. Because the words we use matter. Like words have the power of life and death. Right, we we all hear that, we all know that. So when we say prospect, guess what? Nobody likes to be prospected. Like, do do anybody listening to it? This call wants to be prospected, um, hunted, maybe, or or like you know followed through and like harassed. Nobody. So why would we call? The 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 notion is when you say prospect, it allows marketing and salespeople to just blast them because they're not customers. But once they become customers. You see, organizations all of a sudden start saying, being very protective. Oh, these are customers. We should be focusing on them. We should make sure that we don't oversend them emails. We should not over communicate. We should give them love. Why? Because they're customers. So if you're truly in an account base, anybody that you're reaching out is your future customer because you've identified that they're best fit. They may not buy from you today. It doesn't make them a prospect. They just are future customers. So as soon as you even change the vocabulary of how you think about them, I think you would change the way you write, email, communicate with them. So I think there are a lot of marketing practices that are batch and blast, that are part of like, okay, let's just build a big base. Let's just get as many people as we download. And we forget that in all of this, you are either building your brand or killing your brand. And organizations will do well, really well, if they start looking at every single company and instead of people they're going after as their future customers and they will value them and communicate with them with the same level of love, care, and intensity as you would with an existing customer. Wow, that was great, uh, Sangram. I think uh, this um, answer that you just gave is going to ruffle some feathers in um, marketers who are still not convinced of ABM or maybe it will uh, you know, give them more questions to think about. So, all right, uh, coming back uh, to the discussion, uh, Sankram. See, uh, if, if uh, we are an organization that is practicing ABM, um, of course, we did um, cover about uh, staying away from vanity metrics, but let's also discuss a little bit about what are the key metrics that really matter. And the most important question I think most people will have is who owns the revenue or who shares the revenue responsibility? 
That's a great question, man. That's a great question. I think, um, I, I've, again, I've been, I've, I've been very blunt about this, is that the value of marketing is defined by sales, period. Um, and it took me 10 years of therapy to say that. Absolutely. I totally agree with that. You know, if you're not contributing to revenue, in fact, that's, that's been part of my recent book as well, that if marketing is not contributing to sales and if it's not turning to revenue, then there's no point. Yeah. And I think this is where this is a slippery slope for a lot of marketers because a lot of marketers would or marketing organizations would look at, well, we do events, we do brand, we do website, we do graphics, we do all these newsletters. And the interesting thing is, yes, you get to do that to drive revenue. And they miss the last part, which goes back to the vanity metrics part of it. Uh, but, but the revenue part is, I, I think there's future organizations. Let me put it this way. Organization that will not just survive, but thrive in, in the next year through all the things that are happening all around us right now are going to be organizations that have marketing and sales operating with one scorecard and one number, period. So you think about organizations where marketing have a lead goal and, and sales team has a revenue goal, it's not going to work. That is one of the fundamental reasons why there's a breakage, where marketing's bonuses depend on hitting some arbitrary Excel spreadsheet-oriented numbers. Well, that's not going to work because marketing got to be compensated, not necessarily through like commission, but their commission is in a way a bonus at the end of the year if you hit so-and-so revenue numbers. So I believe marketing and sales got to have the same scorecard and the same number every single, every single way. In our organization, we don't have a marketing only or sales only meetings. Those are all like operational meetings, but we have something we call marketing meetings where marketing and sales leaders, both on the demand side and um, sales side, they all come together every week and multiple times a week, as a matter of fact, but every week, at least once a week, they would come in and they look at, okay, where are we? And the, the answer to that question is not, oh, let's see how many leads we got from inbound and outbound and, and how many downloads and how many eBooks. No, no, no. The answer to that question is, all right, we agreed that we have 400 accounts in our three tiers that we want to go after. So of these 400 accounts, how many are in tier one, tier two, tier three, and how many we have engaged? Oh God, look at this. We are only 30% in tier one. Well, what can we do for the rest 70%? Now marketing team, and not saying that, well, we got webinars. They say, okay, well, let's see. The 70% are largely in manufacturing. So guess what? Let's just go ahead and take existing ebook and turn that into a manufacturing-focused ebook. Let's just, instead of doing a top-of-the-funnel webinar, let's just do a webinar for manufacturing folks. Instead of having 1,000 people attend that, Let's just have 20 people attend that and make it VIP and make it all about that industry. And we'll have a higher win rate and higher open rate and higher uh, engagement with that particular set of accounts. So you can see what marketing is supposed to do is to bring in the menu of options to, from the buffet table to say, hey, we can do all these things. We can run events. We can do webinars. We can do all these things. But don't pre-decide that for the sales team and say, here's what we're doing. But rather come to the table and say, all right, here's the situation. We have so much focus or so much penetration on tier one, tier two, tier three. And here's what we can do. Let's talk about it. Would that help? Would that drive? And you know what? The sales team can have a veto power. They could say, you know what? The best thing that works is actually not that. Give me a meeting. Uh, give, set me a dinner 
in Boston because in Boston, that's where um, the three of these customers are. And if you can have a field marketing event right there, we'll actually close more deals. Now that's, you, you can imagine how much more buy-in you're going to have from the sales team. So going back to your revenue number, I think it's not one person. I think it's an organizational thing. And marketing as an entire organization, their bonuses and their jobs should depend on with the same scorecard and the same number. Right. And and uh, what do you think are the things that needs to be measured, right? So on one side, we have uh, the sales velocity where we see how the pipeline moves. And on one side, there's engagement. And then uh, when it comes to engagement, you know, since we're talking ABM, there are uh, known engagements and there are uh, brand new unknown uh, parts that also come into your CRM or into your ABM tool. So what are the metrics with which you will actually measure progress going down to the next stages of uh, sales conversations? I think they're the same as what business outcomes are. And I think this is the tripping point for a lot of marketing. So you're hitting on something that um, is super important because there got to be no other metrics that we should be measuring than what the CEO and the CFO and the CRO of your organization is looking at. So marketing should be looking at number of how many appointments are getting generated. What is the pipeline? What is the velocity? How long does it take to close a deal? What verticals are we doing better at? What is our expansion conversion? I mean, those are the metrics. And, and here is something that has, I've been CMO three times now. And in every part of that, you know, being as part of the Salesforce, prior to that uh, at Code Ready, and then um, obviously at Terminus. And all I've seen is that whatever you present on is what you get asked on. Whatever you present on in the board meeting to your executives, to your, uh, to your peers, is what you're going to be be asked questions on. So be extremely careful of not showing the shiny new toy or object that you got going on in marketing, because that's what distances you. Instead, if you showed that, hey, look, here are five business metrics that your executive team should have already aligned on that your board expects you to, you to know and say, here's how we have helped achieve that. Now, if you show again traffic to the website and you can't tell them how it's achieved, then you've got to mute that that's a problem. But if you're like Pramada, going back to our example, they showed that, hey, 70% decrease in traffic is a good thing because now we got the right people on the website. Now that's a difference. So I, I think we should resist the temptation of coming up with new metrics and double down on the business metrics and use them as saying how we are as a marketing organization supporting to create those. Absolutely. Uh, I, I, loved, uh, I love what you just said and also the story of how uh, you, know, you conduct your meetings internally, because this is something that I've also covered in my book as game model, which stands for gather, agree, map and execute. Unless these two teams work together as a single point, you know, unless it, it works as one team towards one goal, it's definitely uh, not, not going to result in anything meaningful. But that said, you know, uh, every company is in um, different stages of execution when, when they go into the ABM cycle. So um, say once a company starts implementing ABM, how should they go about optimizing, uh, you know, ABM in their entire journey? So what are the factors that they need to consider to optimize different parts of the ABM journey? I think that that is one area where, where I have tremendous amount of opinions now that uh, I've seen thousands of companies do this. I think a lot of organizations just jump in with what they know is, is, is in their view right or how, how they have done it in the past, which is, all right, we got to go with top, like just create new customers. That's the standard place where companies start. 
And I would always come in back and say, all right, let's just look at it. How many deals do you need to close a year? And let's say you need 50 deals to close a year. Okay, would you have the pipeline for those 50 deals? Oh yeah, we got like a thousand deals in the pipeline right now. Well, then why would you? Why would you spend any time to get any more net new deal? You're saying that you just need 50 deals to meet your quota and you have a thousand in the pipeline. Why wouldn't you now focus all of your time, energy, money, and resources on those thousand deals in the pipeline and stop your demand generation activities? If anything comes in, great, but let's just focus on creating really customized experiences for these thousand organizations and start prioritizing, start tiering them. So, so one, one area that I typically just go in and, and look at and say, you got to know how many deals you need to close a year in order for you to, to know how you're going to meet a quota. And guess what? You ask that question, um, Manish or Yagnesh, to any organization today, like, do you know how many deals you need to close this year? Chances are they have no idea. And because they have no idea, they just go, we, we all just go, like, let's just get more, let's just get more. But we don't take the time to sit down and talk through these things. How, what is our total address of our market? How many deals do we need to close per overall? So all these questions leads to, to this idea of like, you, you don't have to talk to the funnel. Um, uh, Thomson Reuters, another uh, case study that, that's in the book, it's a gigantic organization. They started doing account-based with their expansion deals because they, if you're an organization listening that has more than one product, guess what? That is the best place to start because you already have the trust and money coming in from them. and now. If you have more than one product, then you need to make them aware of your other products based on, based on whatever their pain points might be. In that case, your cost of acquisition is literally zero. As a matter of fact, in positive because you're already making money. And if you can close with other tiers, other tools, other whatever services that you have that, to the existing set of accounts, you're just going to be in, in a better position as an organization for the long run. So I think ABM, because marketing is focused largely historically on top of the funnel has lost sight of what business really is all about. And I think businesses are all about making new customers and keeping them. And you can make new customers by increasing the pipeline velocity in the deals, and you can keep them by doing better expansion within the tool without going after a net new download, um, even for a year. You don't need a net new download. You can save all the cost of acquisition and double down on pipeline and not only meet the goals, but exceed the goal. Awesome, Sangram. And uh, you and Yag uh, talked about, uh, you know, metrics, uh, the right kind of metrics to measure and uh, the wrong kinds to eliminate. And you also touched upon this, uh, not going after every new signing object. But let me ask you a related question. Do you think uh, more technological software or tools in your marketing stack enables uh, account-based marketing? Or do you think marketing teams can drive AVM with Fewer tools. Oh, like Pramod is a great example, right? They went from 22 tools to six. Um, and I think there, I mean, you can reach out to Jeremy, you can go and see their study online. Like it's fantastic because their cost of acquisition, because the tools are so expensive, uh, dropped uh, to like by 60%, by 60%. But here's the point. You actually don't even need a tool to do ABM. You really don't. Like, let's just take that as an example of uh, what we just talked about. Um, the, if you, you, if you need to close 50 deals a year in order to, to hit your company goal, maybe let's say hundred deals, 
and you have a thousand deals in the pipeline that you know these are the right fits and there's some sort of engagement with them, but you just haven't really focused on creating personalized experiences for them, you don't really need another tool to create net new deals. You don't need anything other than like maybe they just need more dinners, maybe more physical experiences like direct mail. Maybe you need to do targeted campaigns with them with targeted advertising that you can use Google for or some other display advertising platforms, um, which are readily available easily. The reality is to do true account-based marketing, to test it as an experiment. I don't want anybody listening to this thinking that, oh my God, I got to buy Terminus. I got to buy X, Y, and Z technologies. No. Uh, and I'm, I'm the co-founder of Terminus, right? I mean, my, I have equity in the company. So of course I would love people to buy it, but I'm being very, very honest. Like, and I say this all the time, you don't need a tool to do account-based because account-based is a strategy, not a tool, not a technique. Their Terminus will never be able to, no tool would ever be able to say, well, you can do everything that you want. As a matter of fact, anyone who's a Terminus customer, the number one thing we ask them is like, okay, what else are you doing? Oh, no, we're doing Terminus advertising. Well, are you doing direct mail? Are you using outreach or sales loft for your sales cadence uh, conversations to happen one-on-one? Um, are you using Bombara for intent data? So we will ask all these questions because we want to make sure that companies are set up the right way. So one tool or no, if you're starting off new, you don't need a tool. You just need sales and marketing to come in a room and agree on the accounts you want to go after. That's it. If you do that, you're great. Um, if you have budget to create great tools and the tools are only going to help you accelerate your things, you don't need a whole bunch of tools. Pramata is a great example of that. All they had was for advertising and analytics, they had Terminus. They had Salesloft for uh, sales conversations, for those one-on-one conversations. Um, they had a, uh, I think they have um, Bombara or Intent Data. So that was three. Um, I think they have Marketo for marketing automation. They have Salesforce for CRM, and I forget the sixth one, but I think it was more related to their billing and marketing marketing overall analytics part of it. But that's it. That's all they had, and they closed million-dollar deals. So let's not have another excuse for doing it right without because we need tools. So I'm glad you asked that question because it's something that paralyzes a lot of people. And uh, I'm glad uh, you answered this question in such a detailed manner because we wanted to ask this question intentionally because um, uh, you know we are seeing a recurring pattern with uh, you know a lot of marketing like-minded marketers uh, that we have talked on the show and offline where uh, you know there's this uh, two poles in the marketing world uh, who uh, on the one hand think that more tools equals to more efficiency productivity automation and all that but on the other hand there's this another school of thought where you I Yag and other marketers belong where we think the more tools you might have in your MarTech stack, the more confusion and problems that you are inviting. So thank you for validating our opinion because you actually just recapped one of our last episodes that we recorded on how you, you know, where we discussed uh, topics about why you don't need a lot of uh, tools. If you have just CRM and marketing automation, I think you are good to go in terms of uh, launching your ABM campaign. Yeah, absolutely. And and to add to that, I think the opposite of this is also true. And I've been corrected on this one. So I just wanted to share that as well, which is you don't need to do a whole bunch of things at the same time. That's another thing that paralyzes a lot of people. So when people say, well, yeah, it's a strategy, which means I need to have a advertising 
uh, high tech, high touch, direct mail, sales, cadence, emails, do any of these, all these things set up? No, you don't. What you need, and, and that was corrected by Tori, who ran our uh, ABM program, was this. He said, you increase the amount of experience and personalization as you get more engagement. Let me say that again, because it was such a really incredibly important point, and he proved it with data to me. He said, you increase the level of experiences, the personalized experiences that you create with the, with the engagement levels that happen. So what I mean by that is, let's say you have a thousand accounts, going back to the same example, and you might be doing a, a, a let's say you use Terminus as an example to do targeted advertising to all of these thousand accounts. Now, let's say a hundred of them start showing engagement, which means they come to your website and you're able to see that, oh, company X, Y, and Z off our target list are now coming to your website. Great. Now is the time to get your salespeople engaged. So you just add another layer. Salespeople are now going to start reaching out to them. They start seeing some engagement there. Great. Now it's the time to maybe do a direct mail with them. So now you start, you, you can see how you add experiences as you engagement increases and with the accounts that you have engagement as opposed to everyone. Because if you want to go and say, well, I want to do all these things for all thousand accounts, you're going to lose your mind. You're going to lose a lot of budget and you're going to have all kinds of frustrations all over the place. And you'll be again going back to trying to do everything to everyone. The best thing that ABM has done is that you, and I've said this in the book as well, which is that it is 100% okay. Not only okay, it's, it's actually 100% um, supported that you should not treat all the accounts the same way. Because if you do, then what you're doing is you're doing disservice to the accounts that is a million dollar account and a, a, a like a hundred dollar account. You wouldn't want to have the same experience for them. The million dollar account should have a lot more personalized experiences and your hundred dollar account should have a lot different experiences. That is how it should work. So the fact that we send the same email to everybody, the same webinar email, same everything the same to everybody is actually dilutes the, the arbitrage between a million dollar and a hundred dollar. And that's what kills a lot of these deals because you come across as someone who doesn't really care who you're talking to. Absolutely. Absolutely. Sangram. I agree 100% agree with what you have to say. And this has been a great episode, Sangram. I think uh, we will have a lot of notes to pick up on our side. And that concludes the list of questions that uh, we had for you, Sangram. But uh, we can't really go uh, let you go without uh, uh, letting our audience know where do you hang out in the in online world? Where can they find you if they have uh, any follow-up questions to ask? My man, sure. You guys already know this, so I, I'm not going to say something that I, that's not that's not standard uh, for me. Uh, I love LinkedIn. Uh, I, I share and do a lot of LinkedIn lives. I do flip my funnel podcast if you want to share as well. Um, I have LinkedIn, and this is a free resource if people want to go. LinkedIn actually had me come and do an ABM course, which is free. So if you're a LinkedIn user, I think you can literally go and look for uh, account-based marketing foundations course, which is literally an hour-long course that LinkedIn has sponsored. They recorded it. They, you know, so all that stuff. So it, it, I guess what I want to leave everybody with is that it is there, there's enough resources, especially if you're listening to this podcast with Yang Nesh and Manish and the conversation we just had. There's enough thing. I think what stops most people is that they feel it's too hard and too complicated. And maybe also it's that, that it's too long. 
And I want, I hopefully this conversation, it, the myth around this is, uh, is driven to ground, which is that, no, you can start with a small experiment. Find a sales rep if you're a marketer today as an action item. Go find a sales rep, ask them which accounts do they need to close this month or this quarter that will help them meet their quota. I guarantee you, they will tell you without even, without even uh, blinking their eyes. Great. Now you have a list of their two or three accounts that they need to close that month or that quarter. Do something about it. Take those accounts, research them. Maybe you have eBooks that you can customize for that particular account. Maybe you can do a dinner for them. Maybe you can do online experience for them. Just five accounts, three accounts, and help them close that deal. You do that, and you're going to be a hero in your organization. And that's really how what account base is supposed to do: is to help marketing and sales team to work together and drive business impact. So I hope this does not make people feel, oh, it's complicated and all that stuff. It actually should make you feel extremely proud to be a marketer, to be able to have this level of impact in your organization. True that, true that. Uh, thank you so much for making it to our show, Sangram. It's been great uh, recording with you. And uh, I hope uh, the listeners of this show will enjoy it. And until we make it to our next episode, uh, to the listeners of this show, this is bye from Manish. And this is bye from me, Yag. Thank you so much and take care. You've been listening to the Flip My Funnel podcast. To make sure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. If you have an iPhone, we'd love for you to open the Apple Podcasts app and leave a review. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.